0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrialcom FM. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org.
1: Hi, this is Marina Surdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. The Earl Grey Hot.
0: Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey. Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me is the wonderful Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great. This is a great episode. We have a nice little announcement and a great topic. So it's very, very exciting.
0: We do. So as this announcement goes, like Justin, we've had some great guests on, right? The past two weeks since Richard left us. Um, But it's time to get someone with us each and every week. He can be constant. And we are here so very excited to welcome Joe Keegan to Earl Grey. Joe, welcome.
1: Amy, thank you for describing me as a constant. That's it's lovely. It's not offensive in the slightest. I'm um, so glad to be here. I'm so excited. Um, kind of terrifying. It feels like I've never podcasted before. Um, so, like, I'm a co-host now, so it's exciting.
2: Yeah, welcome, Joe. It's It's very exciting. <laughs> We've loved all the things you brought in the different uh, topics and I uh, just thought it would be natural to invite you on as a co-host. Thank you, Justin, thank
0: you. <laughs> yes, Ah, oh, I'm just so excited. All right, and I, we, oh, Justin and Joe, you, you guys have met no, in person? No,
2: no, never. no. I think we Oh, not last year? It turned out that we didn't last year, right? But no, we didn't, no. And you missed no. the previous
1: STLV. No, I
2: was. No, th- I was there in 2017. Also, okay. I, yeah,
0: but see, you pretended to not know me two years ago.
2: <laughs> I, Joe, Amy's not going to let go of that.
0: <coughs> I know. I
2: have no idea what you're talking well, about.
0: This year, well, this year, all three all of us will be together, right? I know, Earl Gray, yay! Yeah.
1: I'm going to start ignoring Amy Nelson at SCLV. <laughs> Is this, Amy Nelson? <laughs> you
0: are not.
1: Who's is, Who's is Amy Nelson? Who is she? I don't really. You
0: know, I podcast, I, don't you know the name? Now, who's going to be saying that?
1: The name rings a bell, but I've I can't put a face to the name. It's strange. I know I Justin. That. Justin's it's, that famous podcaster guy, isn't he on the Trek FM network? Yeah, I yeah, know Justin Ozer. Yeah, that's Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: anyways. anyways. <laughs> Okay, well, listeners, let's get to some Babel Conference feedback, and let's talk about Captain, or just kidding, Commander Riker's <laughs> option to be a captain. Let's save it that way. And that was Earl Grey 278. So, Justin, why don't you start us off?
2: Well, he was a captain in nemesis, so you could call him Captain That's Riker. That's
0: true.
2: <laughs> well, Tim Robertson says, Great podcast, guys. It might be interesting if at STLV someone could ask Jonathan Frakes what does he see as Riker's motivation to remain on the Enterprise? I doubt you would get a serious response, but who knows? Well, thanks for the comment, Tim. Uh, glad you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Frakes might not give a serious response to it, but I do like to ask questions at STLV, so I might ask yours. And I hope you're there in the audience to hear it.
0: All right, Joe? Uh,
1: Ria Giorgio says Riker stayed back so he could direct. Duh.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course. I I had to put a comment in the Babel conference like, that's the best reason that's been given so far. (laughs) He had to direct, right? Of course. He couldn't leave in season two. He had to direct in season three. Yeah.
1: (laughs) How many episodes did he direct? Do we know, roughly?
2: Here we go. Star Trek directorial credits. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in TNG. So more than I thought. Three in DS9. And three in Voyager, of course, uh, two... TNG movies as well. So he's directed a lot of Star Trek. Actually, it's uh three episodes of Discovery and at least two of Picard. So Oh,
0: that's right. Three. Yeah, because yeah. we had one and then two.
1: Justin, I'm disappointed that these are details that you don't know off the top of your head.
2: Like an encyclopedic like knowledge. What mem- that's what memory alpha is for, so that the rest of my brain can hold other Star Trek stuff. If I can look it up, you know, why should I sure, yeah. okay. clutter my brain with it?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Could I say something about Ria Papa Giorgio? yes please yes. she likes the way i say her name
0: she likes the way i say it too Is just because she... you have your scottish accent
2: what was
1: that amy that was hugely offensive to me and my people
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> ria you'll have to let us know which one you like better yes. no i'm sure she likes them equally the, 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 <laughs> i
0: say her name much more frequently on postcards i'm just saying
1: okay i've said it well, a we're times. off to a great
2: start so far with joe's co-host so, yeah <laughs>
0: i know my goodness but, uh, well, hey, let's get back to yes, uh, our feedback because Michelle Huber says, first off, I just want to say that I'm a maintenance worker and janitor, so I clean toilets, 15 of them and everything else at a city recreation center while listening all the time. I usually save the new episodes of Earl Grey to listen at work because I prefer listening to new episodes of multiple Marvel and Star Trek podcasts at work. Also... I've always had the headcanon that Riker stayed on the Enterprise D because he's found the father figure that he wants and needs in the form of the captain. And I realize how that sounds, but it makes sense to me. Forgetting the professionalism of his relationship with Captain Picard, he really is like a son to him and is treated like one on a very subtle and nuanced level. I feel like Riker had been subconsciously trying to fill the void in his life where his father would be. After the incident with Captain Pressman, it couldn't be Pressman anymore. So he then eventually found what he was looking for with Jean-Luc Picard. That's how I see it anyways. Well, Michelle, that's absolutely a brilliant idea. I didn't even think about it, but it does make sense with what we know with his relationship with his own father. Maybe he did find it with Pressman and found it with Picard.
1: His father was Kyle Riker, played by Mitchell Ryan.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah Uh, michelle i mean i think that's a great way to to look at it i accept that headcanon and thank you for letting us know how you listen to to earl gray i mean i think people listen to it doing all kinds of stuff and and very cool that while you're doing um your maintenance and janitorial job that you're listening to us talk about star trek i think that's very cool well, uh, Karen Chuplis says, simple, he'd have to give up away missions. As EXO, he gets to command some, go on away missions, still be able to have crew relationships and not be isolated, still be considered in the same echelon. A captaincy would toss all that away. I wouldn't go for that either. It's kind of the best of both worlds. <laughs> so thanks, Karen. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like In the 24th century, as the first officer, you're going on the away missions, having the good time. And 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 I put a comment in the Babel conference like, well, if was, it was in the twenty third century where the captain gets to go on all the away missions, then maybe he would have taken it more readily. But it's oh, it's yeah. it's a great point. I mean, I think there's a lot to being first officer on the Enterprise D that that recommends it, right?
0: Well, and what's funny also on the Babel conference, it's like, well, it's not like going up to captain increases your salary, <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, but as Picard would say, there's nothing like holding the reins, you know. Yeah. But whatever that means
1: <laughs> i can kind of relate to that not that i'm in i'm promoted in any way whatsoever i'm really happy just being a normal unpromoted classroom teacher because i see i get to do all the fun stuff like teach kids and do all the fun experiments and if i go for promotion then i have to manage people in the paperwork Ew, and adults just, yeah, yeah yeah do adult stuff
2: yeah it, I mean, it's, it's like going from captain to admiral. You have to probably sit behind a desk, yeah, pa- right? <laughs> Paper pusher. Yeah. Sounds yeah it's fun.
0: Nice. All right. Well, let's get to today's discussion. I am very, very excited. Um, I have never looked at blueprints ever before. And so this is going to be a very, I think, interesting discussion. And Joe, this was your idea. So why don't you tell the listeners, like, what were you thinking when you wanted to discuss the blueprints of the Enterprise-D?
1: I had no clue what, when you guys were looking for ideas, what we would or could talk about. And I've not listened to every episode of Earl Grey, so I wasn't sure what had been covered before. And I thought I tried to go about kind of think outside the box and do something that we probably haven't done before. And that's when it occurred to me, oh, I've got a copy of the blueprints. Um, Let's do that. I had a discussion of them. And it goes back to, I think, possibly the mid-90s when I was a teenager, when I had a couple of years into my rediscovery of Star Trek and I was watching Next Generation and they were producing a lot of kind of books in the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual and the blueprints. And I was... As a kind of sciencey, nerdy, geeky kid, I was really fascinated by all the kind of the minutiae of how things worked. Um, and the Enterprise-D is just one of the most beautiful starships that you could ever possibly imagine. So um, I wanted to know everything about it. And so I got the blueprints, and totally fascinating.
0: Yeah. And Justin, have you, uh, I think... Did you have to order them? Because I had to order them because I didn't have a copy. So what what did you think?
2: Yeah, I, well, I did have to order them. So, I mean, as I've said before, I've been a big Star Trek fan more recently, like in the last 10 years. So I wasn't aware of all this stuff that was coming out. And most of the stuff that I have that are books or, you know, the, the fiction, the novels. I have a few nonfiction things. Well... Yes, this isn't nonfiction, though, is it? (laughs) But anyway, so the blueprints, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I had to order it, and I didn't know what to expect, and they put a lot into this. So there's a little booklet that we'll talk about that has some interviews and some perspectives on it, but the main thing is these poster-sized blueprints. There's like 13 of them, and they cover all the decks, and they have like lots of different details and i just kind of went about studying them like looking at each deck and seeing if there's you know interesting stuff in there and and it was really interesting because we'll probably talk about this it makes it feel a little more real because in the show you just see little bits of the ship but you're not seeing all of it by any stretch but with this you're getting to like see the different decks and kind of go through it layer by layer so it was really cool yeah
1: it was interesting as well you only see the bits of the ship that it was ob- that it was obviously affordable to do with their production budget because there's some like the main shuttle bay is mammoth is a gigantic huge area on deck 4 but the one we see um on the TV episodes is on deck 5
2: which is a lot smaller. Yeah. You never see the inside of the main shuttle bay. You just see the outside and cause and effect when they decompress it. But you never see the inside, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Because there's like something like 50 shuttles docked and berths around the outside walls, which I wish yeah. we'd got to see that at some point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like you said, Justin, there were these 13 posters and they really were just beautiful. Um, Just real quick, there was the dorsal surface plan, so from the top, and then a separate one was screen two was from the bottom, the ventral surface plan view. Uh, The third poster had your fore elevation and your aft elevation and the standard elevation, and I think that third poster is my favorite because there's three different ship views on that. Uh, For the fourth poster, they have the starboard cutaway view with internal deck plans, and that gives you deck one, the lower deck, and deck two. And then all of these, I noticed, and it even said on the the blueprint that it's the XZ plane, so it's bird's eye view. Uh, The fifth one was decks three, four, and five. Uh, Screen six was decks six and seven. Screen seven was deck eight and nine. And then screen eight was decks 10 and 11.
1: Amy, can uh, I um, ask, I did see that, like the X, we see Z over here, um, like X, Y, Z. Um, and I thought, okay, I, I couldn't, with the a small amount of time that I thought about it, I couldn't figure out which... One so you're saying XZ is the
2: like that overhead bird's so
1: eye. X is in the forward direction of the ship and Z is kinda horizontally across the ship.
0: So X is your yeah, horizontal. Math lesson. <laughs> and then your Z is the what that gives you your third dimension. So it would be if you're thinking about a, a cube, it'd be your length. And then your height. Oh, so Z is your height,
1: like, okay, I get that. But in terms of these blueprints, does that conform to, like, our normal definition of X, Y, Z? Yes,
0: absolutely. Z
1: is, like, from deck 1 down to deck 40, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, so you're looking at the plane X, Z plane instead of the X, Y plane. It's very wonderfully mathematical uh, I did yeah enjoy I, I,
1: I can yeah. I have to I have to spend a few minutes thinking about it so I can internalize yeah. it and fully understand.
0: So it's not until the 10th poster where we get just all the major decks and it starts getting slower uh, smaller into the neck um, but the 10th poster has decks 15 to 25. the 11th has decks 26 to 33. The 12th poster has decks 34 to 38, and then the third, the 13th poster has decks 39 to 42, and then it has the symbol key, and it has all the room spaces and uh, all the hardware, and they have each little room, and then it's just, it, it was brilliant, brilliantly done.
1: It's a great idea for an episode as well, I was like... Who came up with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to ask, like, what do you think is the appeal of being able to study these blueprints? I mean, particularly of this giant vessel like the Enterprise.
1: Joe? I think it's, is it not like that wanting to explore what you see on TV and put yourself in, put your, imagine yourself in an episode, and if you've got all the details and the layouts, and you can relate. Oh, there's the bridge, and there's ten forwards. So how would I get there? What corridors would I take? I know it's um like two dimensional planes we're seeing, and like cross sectional planes. Um, but I think it helps you kind of visualize, you know, where every everybody's crew quarters are, and where is main engineering in terms of the bridge. I think the kind of current, um, my like present day extension of the blueprints is kind of a VR walk around of kind of something like a spaceship or a, if you've ever been on like a star base and Star Trek online and you get to wander around, it's, it's kind of like that. So it's putting yourself in an episode and using your imagination to see what it would be like.
0: Yeah. Justin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's impossible, even in 176 episodes, to explore everywhere in the ship. They had the budget limitations and all of that. So, it's it's being able to to kind of explore and see, like you're taking a, a tour of of the ship. But it's also kind of some revelations. Like I made some notes about some things I saw in some of the blueprints. Like deck 12 has the sick bay. And sickbay is enormous. It seems like it takes up about a quarter of the deck. And on the show, you basically just see like the main sickbay and Crusher's office. Maybe there's another room. But I counted like 12 different rooms that are sickbay, which makes sense on like on a ship of a thousand people. But it seems so small when you actually see it on the show. And then there are other things. I have to mention it because it was like my favorite thing that I saw here. Um, as, as listeners might know, in yesterday's Enterprise, there's a little mention like over the intercom about cetacean ops. And we've talked about it in various Trek FM shows over the years, but basically like these kind of dolphin officers that do things. And they actually put that in the blueprints on, I think it was deck... 13 and 14 and there's i don't know like 15 different rooms of cetaceans uh who knows like how they work or what they do but it's just those things where there was like this tiny little mention that the first time i watched the next generation i completely missed that until i heard a track fm podcast and i'm like cetacean ops what is that but it but it's become one of my favorite things and to actually see it on the blueprint and they show like the different rooms with the tanks and you can see like the little outlines of these dolphin creatures. That's just awesome. Just like these things that you would never see, and now you're visualizing, like, wow, that would be amazing just to see. I mean, there was tons of details. I made like a lot of notes, I won't be able to talk about all of them, but those are two things that stood out, like the scale and some of the things that you'd never get to see on the show is really cool to see.
1: But what are the what are the the cetacean creatures? I want to know: Are they mm-hmm. like ascension aquatic species that serve? I think that's the idea, Star- Starfleet, or is it just like having mm. what was the Sequest DSV dolphin? Um, yeah, mind that TV show Sequest, the submarine. I
2: saw it many years ago.
1: It's Darwin, Darwin. the dolphin, a, a, da- a dolphin that could speak.
2: Yeah, the, yeah. They, well, the, the, I think the idea is that they are doing like work. Because it's cetacean ops, it's not like oh, let's visit these dolphin-like creatures. I think they are supposed to be sentient cetaceans, and you have never seen that in, I should say, in the twenty-fourth century at least. Um, but like in the novels, you do get some of those like cetacean officers, and there's one particular dark mirror which is about the, the mirror universe um, where you do get to see this cetacean officer who's apparently like a wizard at navigation. I don't know how that would play into the Prize D, but yeah,
1: I'd heard that before that the cetacean um, ops area was used for some kind of stellar navigation. It's apparently apparently, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if uh, dolphins, whales are good at that kind of thing.
0: See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And they actually on the blueprints, like you said, there's these little outlines <laughs> of dolphin, dolphins or fish looking creatures. And um, yeah, there's a cetacean navigation lab, the lifeboats for the Yes.
2: Citations. Yeah, I love yes. that, too, that they actually had the lifeboats. Because I, I hadn't even <laughs> thought about that. But, yeah, you need different lifeboats for them.
0: <laughs> and they're ops. And so, yeah. And it covers multiple decks. So, yeah. these are very large tanks. And it made me think of uh, the Zindi in the Enterprise, Season yes, 3. Yes,
2: the Aquatics, yeah.
0: And it made me also think of discovery with the tardigrade and like how they mm. were navigating mm. uh, the mm-hmm. discovery and i was like huh this navigation lab maybe that's helping the enterprise d to navigate so those were my tie-ins when i saw that but i have yeah. a huge question mark next to my notes like what in the heck is that
2: come on let, let's see these cetacean officers in the picard series right I would love that so much. I don't see.
1: I don't see why there's any reason why we shouldn't see all the cool things from a galaxy-class starship that we couldn't see in the in TNG because there has to be some galaxy-class starships flying around still in the Picard yeah. series. About the Great. Cetacean Docks, I like the fact there was a wet dry lock. So mm-hmm. you can go from the corridor, air breathing, put on your the scuba gear, and you can go and swim around with the fishes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I like. I, I think they thought of a lot of details like that. Like it was not only putting in the rooms, but like how does somebody who is who has to go from a dry area to a wet area deal with that? And there was like all kinds of things where there are different like support areas, or they're thinking about like how many crew quarters to put in. Because that's another thing that struck me. Like, yeah, there's a thousand people. There's got to be a lot of crew quarters, but we only see like a couple of corridors really in the in the series. But there were like many decks with crew quarters. It seemed like most of them had some kind of crew accommodations of some sort, which is which is great. And they managed to like fit all this stuff in and you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I think they thought about it a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I was thinking about like, what is the appeal to studying these blueprints? Because like I said, I, I'd never studied blueprints before, but it was so interesting. And I found the dichotomy between learning more, but then yet that opened up my imagination. So it's like, the more specific it was, the more it sparked my imagination. And it was just like, oh, well, what if this? And my brain was just doing a whole bunch of these what ifs. And I thought, man, it's interesting that I'm seeing more detail to, you know, formalize like where the quarters are in relation to each other. Just so you know, Deanna's is right next to Rikers. And I did, I
2: absolutely noticed that. Yes.
0: <laughs> Got to get my Deanna reference in there before someone else I, th- I think
2: else they're near, near each other so that they can, you know, better communicate as Zimzadi if they want to just send some thoughts or something.
0: Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> on, deck, um, on deck eight,
2: that but, is deck eight. They're on yes. deck eight, yeah. yeah. That was the other thing, like, they're on deck eight, and meanwhile I think it's like Worf and Data are like up on deck two. And LaForge,
1: yeah. LaForge is on deck two as well. And
2: LaForge is on deck two, which like, didn't what? make sense to me. Why aren't all the senior officers, like, closer to the bridge? I don't know. (laughs) Why wouldn't the Forge be close to main engineering?
0: Because that's Mm -hmm. where all the engineering crews are. Yeah,
2: but he's he's the 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 chief chief engineer engineer by this point. Yeah. But, yeah, it it was interesting that some of the decisions that they made, and then Picard's was, I forget where it was. Right in the front.
0: I put a question mark. It's, like, right above 10 forward. So his is, like, Uh, right front center is, like, whew, that's sort of dangerous to be so right there.
1: <laughs> I know he should yeah. have a spiral staircase from his quarters on Deck Eight down directly into Ten Forward, <laughs> so he could just kind of come make, down make a with his like, kind of silk dressing gown on and kind of order <laughs> a drink. Well, I also That'd like as awesome. well about Ten Forward that there are various locations around the ship of like crew lounges.
2: That right. I noticed that too, which makes sense. It seemed like there were a lot of decks that had crew lounges, which would make sense if you didn't want to make your way all the way up to 10 forward or, or just like interact with people on your deck or whatever. makes some sense.
0: Yeah. I did notice all the different types of lounges, but I found this interesting. That's uh, a little different from ships that we've seen previously, like in enterprise discovery and the original series, like There's no main mess hall like everyone's I feel like is either eating in their quarters, but there's not like a main cafeteria, Mm. you know, lounges. There's a lot of them, but it seems to be like more just hanging out, you know, maybe playing chess, getting a drink. But it's not really per se a mess hall. And I found that uh, one of the differences um, between like previous starships and what we see on the Enterprise D, I think it sort of leads into that the ship is being more comfortable, and it has been called the Hyatt Regency in space is what the uh, what it was called back then. I guess we call it Hilton in the Stars or something like that. Um, but it, the ship was designed to be more comfortable, and Gene specifically wanted families on. The ship and that you were going to be living here so that it needed to be more comfortable. So what aspects of looking through the blueprints did you find that's going to make this ship more comfortable, actually a living place and not just a workplace?
1: It looked like it was all
0: carpeted. Like the addition of carpets. And that carpets. was specific from Gene. Yeah.
2: I mean, you see that on the show, but there's nothing you can tell that from the blueprints, right?
1: Oh, no, not at all. Um, from mm. the blueprints, what makes it look more comfortable? I don't think you can...
2: i I mean i I think you know part of it is all those crew lounges but then there's there was also like a bunch of gyms there's like multiple holodecks i mean and you see some of that on the show but there's like all of these this space that's set aside kind of for for recreation and the bridge is pretty big and and all of that but like one of the things that struck me also was that this is a ship that requires a lot of engineering support so there are like many many decks that are supporting engineering. So it's not like the whole thing is all about luxury, like the the you know, secondary hull and the neck and a lot of all of that is seems to support engineering. And it's like this big saucer section is I mean it's the bridge as well, but it's and science labs and things like that. But there is like a lot of space for crew quarters and lounges and all kinds of things. So it seems like there's two different things. Like the saucer section, I think does have kind of this luxury and being comfortable and providing things for families. But then as you get down toward the engineering section, it's more like the, the a lot more of the functional stuff of the ship.
1: That kind of makes sense, doesn't it though? You've got the thing that moves the ship around the the, the, the secondary hull then you want all the engineering bits and complicated mechanisms. And and if
2: that separates out into the battle bridge, like you want it to be, you know, this lean efficient thing and not have like all this luxury that flies off in the saucer section, right?
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, you do see the separation. Well, they have the, you know, where the saucer separates and they show that on the blueprints and stuff. But I mean, to your point there, I counted 13 different types of quarters,
2: Yeah. It was a lot. I was like,
0: dang, you know, I it's like choosing a house floor plan, you know, and deciding which type or, you know, based on your rank. So the design of just your living quarters is, you know, very I think different than what we saw in previous starships. Well then it's also
2: it's also an interesting choice to have so many different kinds of quarters because this is supposed to be like a pretty like egalitarian society, but it seems like there is like this kind of stratification or hierarchy in quarters based on your rank. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. To small quarters. Well, and part of it, you know, it may not be based on your rank, but like your uh, family size.
1: That's true. That's true. Yeah. That would make more sense. But even then, if you look like, Right, i got Crusher and Riker and Troy all have the same size quarters. And then mm-hmm. there's that different shape for Worf and the Forge. Then Data gets his little the box. The smallest. That <laughs> in. I yeah. notice
0: Data has no bed in his I quarters.
1: Uh, but, uh, I suppose that's just he doesn't need it, but... Right.
0: But you
2: do see him in bed in the series. He has a bed.
0: Yeah, when he's dreaming, he's working I, on his I, I know,
2: but why wouldn't that show in the blueprints?
0: Yeah. Because that was just temporary.
2: Oh, okay. Just you know, for his sleeping, dreaming phase, he had a yeah. bed rolled in, and then had it rolled right. out later.
1: You would think also that, um bridge officers and the chief and engineer would get quarters with windows in them, because wharf and the forge don't. Mm-hmm. Neither does data. I mm. think you would want, you like, having a wind- like if you go on a cruise. And the more expensive cabins are on the outside with window views or a balcony. And then the cheap ones are in in the the inside of the ship. Which is like a symbol of status, isn't it?
2: Well, it seems like it's because they're on deck two. And that's kind of like embedded inside, so you wouldn't have the ability to have windows there. Well... Although well, the second deck should go out all the way. I don't
1: know.
0: Yeah. 23,
1: about this. 2360 something. They should be
2: able to put windows in somewhere.
0: Well, and did you also notice that there is an alternate captain's quarters? Yes.
2: I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Like, what yeah. does that mean? A... Was that, was, was that near the captain's yacht?
1: Um, yes, it's on deck 20 captain's yacht's on yeah. deck 16. Yeah.
0: So Which... I wonder if that's, you know, in case of separation.
1: Yes. And he stays with the, Star drives Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. That's what I sense. was thinking.
1: Or yeah. in the event of, like, you ram the ship into another big evil ship, like in Nemesis, then Picard's quarters would have been destroyed. Would have been destroyed, yeah. Yes. So he'd have to go and live in his other, his holiday home. <laughs>
0: it's
2: right. a good exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: When you ram into things, your quarters are going to get destroyed.
2: I have to say, it is... Re- Really cool that they show the captain's yacht because we see that on the Enterprise E in the movies, but we never see it in the D. It's nice to confirm that it's there. It's just too bad we never saw it.
1: I think the they D. they designed the Enterprise E's captain yacht, captain's yacht, Captain yacht to look cool because we they knew we were going to see it, and I don't think the Enterprise D's captain, Captain looks very good. I think. It's, but it's why like is a big, there
2: a captain's yacht? In case they
1: captain wants to go
2: sailing <laughs> <laughs> he take it to he takes his pleasure cruise to Riza on his captain's yacht
0: yeah well it, or in case he has to you know travel to do some diplomatic you know consultation or whatever he take and a he shuttle? needs to arrive you know in, in all of his diplomacy and yeah style I and see. it is the flagship so they're sending the best of the best of presentation
1: yeah makes sense But if you want the best of the best, you take the whole ship. You take the Federation's flagship. But
0: if you're going down into the atmosphere. Yeah. But
2: what if there's a distress call over here and there needs to be a diplomatic mission over there, which happens, it happens.
0: (laughs) So one other thing I noticed that I was thinking about like this enterprise D that I don't think that I ever knew, but there is a lot of extra space that's used for future expansion. So that's the true. ship has room to grow. There were multiple decks where they could have uh, you know built in more crew quarters, you know, just these open spaces. I thought that was pretty awesome to think about.
2: You're you're yeah, you're right. I I hadn't thought about it too much, but I noticed that there are places for future expansion, but it makes sense. It, it's kind of like, you know, if if a company has an office building, they want to make sure as they grow they have enough space so they have like enough to accommodate them up to a certain point, and so there's empty space for a little bit. Enterprise D is maybe the same. Maybe they can take on more crew. They want to build more science labs, more holodecks. Who knows? I mean, how do they make these decisions for like what is goes in in the future expansion of the ship?
0: Yeah, based on the need that comes. You know, I mean, it is a small city, and so as families get larger, you may need you know larger family quarters or.
2: Well, you know. maybe like in Remember Me, eventually it'll just be, you know, uh, Beverly and jean Luke roaming the galaxy and they need all that other space for, you know, passengers and diplomatic stuff, right?
1: A giant family that they have. Um, <laughs> I get the idea from looking at the blueprints that it seems kind of modular and you you could change mm. things out if you don't like the arrangement and you get the impression that maybe... Different galaxy-class starships have different internal layouts, possibly. You
2: think they could move around certain rooms?
1: I don't see why not. Or you just maybe not move it, but beam it elsewhere or... Beam the room? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Cargo transporter. Uh, uh,
2: I don't know. I'm just thinking... I mean, we certainly haven't seen that, but... uh, We didn't see dolphins. Yeah. But just beaming a whole room. I mean, the thing they probably couldn't move is the things that take up multiple decks, like some of the holodecks or some of the like cetacean tanks or whatever mm. that would require more work. But, yeah.
1: You might have noticed also that there were some cargo hatches on the outside, which were quite ginormous.
2: I um, didn't notice that.
1: There's huge sections on the outer hull that basically look like they they open up to allow mm-hmm. large pieces of cargo to be um, deck 15 cargo loading doors and cargo lifts. And there's giant yeah. like, you um, saw that
0: on the ventral view. Yes. Yeah.
1: And there's giant um oval lifts throughout the saucer section, like on either side of the kind of central. Right. Axis. And on the
0: blueprints, cause there were, uh, yeah, under the hardware that it was like the, uh,
2: I'm going to make some noise by opening mine up here. I knew this was going to happen. It has point. to be done.
0: So, yeah, there was the cargo transporter, then your regular transporter, and then your emergency transporter. So, those were the three that were listed on the symbol chart.
1: Yeah. There's also um, cargo lifts, like cargo tur- turbo lifts. Yeah. So, you can put large. And
0: in the engineering lifts yes. that just go in between mm-hmm. those decks on engineering. One thing that I wanted to talk about with the lifts was those turbo lifts and the pass through corridors. Like when we got onto where the main uh, quarters were, you could follow the turbo lifts and it was like a maze and it's like, yeah, you could go. So it goes up and down and, you know, through the actual deck horizontally. And I thought that was pretty cool because I always figured that the, uh turbo lifts not only went up and down, but side to side. And I think that I think they was have confirmed to. here.
1: Well you see them going side to side, don't you? Yeah. With the, the way the lights on the inside move. You see the lights mm-hmm. kind of go
0: well, you're assuming, you go, yeah. What
2: way? No, it's yep. it's the way the lights in the background go. It's going like this and then it's going like this yeah. sometimes. And yeah. so
0: you can see that and it's just sort of like this maze of you're following the turbo shifts. It it the turbo lifts, it was really awesome. I love
2: There's probably it. a whole roller coaster track behind it, right?
0: And I'm like, man, with the math of that to, you know, like your stoplights, you know, to coordinate. Well, this this pod has to get over here while this one's going here, and oh my gosh, ooh,
2: like that that's the, one episode we never got was the turbo lift malfunction episode where like two crash into each other.
0: Yeah,
1: the, I noticed yeah. there was also passing places for turbo lifts. So if mm-hmm. there were like mm-hmm. two turbo lifts coming into the same corridor then there was a, yep. would be a wee space that one could move into so the other one could get past. I thought it was exactly. kind of cool. It's all those they little yeah. I
2: mean, they thought of so much. Like, how long did it take them to think of all this stuff? Or, or I wonder, because a lot of these people that were working on it have been working on the show for a while, if they thought about it and, like, made some notes over the years. Because it seems like they've thought of, like, so many things for how it would functionally work. It's really cool. Like, I almost think, like, whenever we get to the point of having, like, big starships people should just take a look at this to see how they want to build their starship you know because they've already thought of some of the ideas
0: well let's talk about the contributors that actually created this amazing book blueprints etc so the main person is rick sternbach and i'm not gonna lie i've had someone tell me that they could hook up an interview with him and i just think i might have to use that contact because um, yes very yes interested. I'm, I'm, yes I'm, amy is that a yes I'm, okay I'm, yeah i'm <laughs> in all right um and then other people who worked on it and listeners you may recognize some of the names andrew probert robert justman uh herman zimmerman richard james dan curry michael Akuda, of course greg jane todd gunther Um, And in the little pamphlet, they went through this sort of a roundtable discussion and answered different questions. And it was so interesting to hear their responses. Like after reading, like what did you learn uh, about their questions and answer uh, that stood out to you? Justin, let's start with you.
2: I mean, I, I, I think I already knew because of some interviews and like how what you see on the show, but I mean, they all take this stuff like very seriously. It wasn't just like, ah, eh, it's some show. They need some designs and some stuff and let's do it. I mean, they were just like really passionate about it. And you can tell from from this roundtable, there's a lot of things they thought about, a lot of things they loved about working on the show and making these blueprints and how like when they were there, it they wanted to make it as real as possible and to make it, you know, feel like something that you could, a world that you could dive into. So, I mean, that was the big impression that I had that, uh, there was just like so much so much passion and so much love for what they were doing, which I think really comes out in the show and then and the designs and all of that. But it was interesting also the the process that they were going through and some little things like there was a part in here where Andy Probert, who designed the Enterprise D in his original like early sketches, there were like landing feet to land the Enterprise D, and that kind of got like lost a little bit later, and I was like Oh, my God, we could have seen the Enterprise D land, but it got it got kind of um, set aside because I think he had done some design on the motion picture on the refit Enterprise. And that was supposed to have some little bumps for landing, maybe, but just like little things like paths they could have taken. But they thought about a lot of stuff and they took it like really seriously, which I love.
0: So I want to jump in real quick because you were talking about that and I have that entire section like I wrote in my notes. I'm like, Troy didn't crash the the ship because even though the feet got left off, Sternbach asked like, well, you know, had you given the saucer its feet and then Probert says, well, the producers would have crashed it anyways. So it wasn't Troy, it was the producers. I thought that was funny.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, but I, I... I think like it's interesting when they're making all these design decisions there's like a lot of different ways that they can go about it and i think for the saucer separation even in here it's it's something well i think it, it was definitely intended from the point of the original series that you know it, the saucer could separate but you never saw it on screen but it, it was only like a little later i think in when they were doing things on tng that that was something where it was like okay let's really integrate that into the ship and we're going to do that. And there's some special considerations. So we had to do some redesign. So I thought that was interesting. Like the give and take between like, Oh, design this and well, the story needs this. And there was kind of this like back and forth, which was interesting. I just love seeing the process.
0: Yeah. Joe, what did you, you know, what stood out to you from this reading?
2: Um, I've,
1: I'm kind of in awe of these guys. Um, just that ability to have that artistic vision take it from like a a thought about what you want some minor detail on your starship to look like and to take that into like some kind of 3d model and produce it and i don't i don't know how their brains work to do that i was always really fascinated by um denise and mike okuda and growing up we had a mac in the mid to early 90s early to mid 90s i think um And they used Macs on the production of next gen to do all the kind of the visuals.
2: I was noticing that this thing came out in 1996 and I think they did the blueprints on a Mac Quadra 800. I think I looked it up it was like 33 megahertz and now computers are in gigahertz and it was like eight megabytes of RAM instead of gigabytes. So they were working on things that were just like hundreds or thousands of times like slower, more difficult to use, and they still made these amazing things we can appreciate now. I mean that must have taken so much work to do. It's incredible.
1: Thousands of times um slower these computers were but like five times as expensive. Right. It was like the, the start of like the proper PC um market. Um yeah i love the fact that they did all their animations on a mac and i used to sit at our mac at home and think how could i do this i had no clue where to start or what they even used but um utterly
2: fascinating i think they used adobe illustrator for a lot of it as well so oh, okay. yeah but but that's cool that your imagination was going like how can i do this oh, yeah, yeah i might build my own spaceship yeah you know, one thing that was funny, I forget which blueprint that it's on, but there was one where it like it showed the different areas and it was like, touch here for nine dorsal. Do you know I actually reached out thinking that I could touch it and find out more? And we've gotten so used to seeing things digitally, right? Yeah. But they just yeah. put that on there as as like a fun little thing. But I was like reaching out to touch it to find out more. But of course, it doesn't exist there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Does that ever happen to you? Like sometimes there's like a little clash and you think you can do something that you can like do on your phone or that you would see now, but you can't because it's this static physical thing.
1: Like an image in a a book and you try and like pinch to zoom in. Right, I've done that. I'm
2: like, oh, can I? Oh, no, I can't zoom in on this. (laughs) It's it's papyrus. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, these guys' dedication, um, incredible. I mean, what they, they put together and it's something that like, I mean, we think a lot of times for the next generation of the appeal of it, you know, there's there's the characters, there's the actors. But I think has been said about a lot of the other Star Trek shows, like the the ship is like a character, too. It's something you grow to love and you see people living in it and going through all kinds of, you know, dramatic and wonderful things in it. So it becomes something that feels real and is like this this character for you so to and i think that's one of the appeals of of star trek as well and for the next generation and it's just great to kind of look back at this it is interesting they they did this you know after generations when they're like well not going to use the enterprise d anymore We might as well put out some blueprints on it but uh yeah it's uh it's just great to to look at this i enjoyed it so much this week looking through all this
1: I'm trying to think. There's some wee things that I picked out. That on deck 12, there is a, a zero-G observation room. There is? Yeah.
2: Oh, it, 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 was that the one that said null-G? Is that what it was? Or was it null-G? That's the same thing. Right? I, I assume so. Yeah. But
1: anyway. It's a room you can just go in and float around in and have fun.
2: I didn't yeah. even realize that. I think so. It's on, on the same deck like
1: as Sikbe. Oh. Huh. Oh. Oh. No, it must be something to do because there's no there's no reference to an actual sick bay, is there? It's just
0: no, there, no is. there is. There's, yeah, it says sick bay, main sick bay. Oh, does it?
1: I, I looked And for I it, noticed I that
0: Troy's, Troy's counseling office was on that deck as well. Sort of yes, all year that's called.
2: right. Okay. Yeah, well, it's actually divided into like 12 different rooms. There's not one that just says sick bay. It's like surgical suite, physical right. therapy, isolation rooms, ICU, like yeah, all this yeah. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I'm
1: figuring yeah. now that the Null G observation... It's probably a medical room where you want to mm. people to float around,
2: like it's a kind of like therapy, a, maybe, or maybe
0: like for helping your bones so you don't have gravity. I don't know. But yeah,
2: well, actually, the, the less gravity yeah. on your bones, the worse it is because they start to degrade.
0: <laughs> well, I not not for a long period of time, but just no, during no,
2: some healing like, process, even for a short period. Yeah, as soon as astronauts get into
1: space and the microgravity their brains realize they're in microgravity and decide oh i don't need a skeleton anymore so you start to get rid of all the calcium in your body and you i
2: don't know if your brain is really thinking that but oh no
1: you're just can i well yeah but, well, but yeah it doesn't you start to basically it. yeah yeah it's like osteoporosis yeah and that's why they're mm. more prone to kidney stones because they're getting rid of all, hmm. flushing out all the calcium and um, so hmm. i figure like possibly for burns victims really bad now you want to kind of you don't want them lying on a bed because no, an it's hard. Yeah. so zero g is probably to um to, i don't know don't kind of or maybe species well and that's
0: where you can you know do your zero g training like they needed in first contact
2: oh yeah where's like the the zero g combat facility for to test that
0: i saw the for the uh target practice
2: Oh yeah. The phaser target practice. I thought of, what was it? Guinan and Picard in there. Yeah.
0: So one thing I thought was a little insulting to Jordy, there is this whole VIP accommodations for your consulting engineer. I was like, Oh man, there's this entire quarters for someone who's going to consult on the engineering, I thought, oh, poor Jordy. That's that what was it, Maybe
1: Scotty. it's for Leia Brahms. I Leia Brahms, definitely.
2: I was going to say that was like Scotty's little place. but <laughs> What kind of confused me was if
1: you look at deck 26 to 29, which is where all the deuterium tanks are located, there's vast, vast quantities of um, liquid deuterium and storage um, as the matter for the antimatter matter-antimatter reactions. And then on deck 40, there's a little bit of antimatter storage. Why so much deuterium and so little antimatter when it's a one-to-one ratio?
2: That is a great question. Unless they somehow can make antimatter on demand and they don't want to have a huge store of it because if that gets loose, that could be bad so i don't know though it's a good question
0: well they needed that much deuterium because starship mine they had to clear the deuterium yeah but I, I think
2: like could it be joe that like you need the the deuterium for the matter and then you need the antimatter for the annihilation um for for certain things but maybe for like the thrusters or impulse you would use the deuterium and fuse it I don't know. Yes. Use fusion instead of antimatter matter interaction.
1: The impulse yeah. fusion reactors will use deuterium and fuse it into heavier things like tritium and helium. Good thoughts. We science the hell out there of that go. there, girl. <laughs> like it. Um, can we can we briefly mention what do we think? Sorry, can, what do we think future expansion will be used for?
2: More holodex,
0: really? More quarters?
2: (laughs) More holographic quarters?
0: More
1: signs? Quantum torpedo storage?
0: No? Maybe?
2: Yeah, it was was pretty interesting.
0: It was a big empty space that uh, masks used to build that (laughs) temple. (laughs) There we go. You know, that was one of the things that I liked looking at the blueprints was that you, you'd you see a specific room and then it was like it would bring a specific episode to yes. mind. I thought that was so cool. Like when they were there was the room and I forgot to write it down. And I just totally remembered uh, Kalar and Worf was their strategic Mm-hmm. planning room or whatever oh yeah yeah like, oh yeah that's the one with Worf and Kalar and so many of that happened
2: yeah I had that happen too like the, the one episode where you see sensor maintenance and lonely among us where JorDy and Worf are there in the first season and something happens where like Worf gets taken over by some being or something and they have sent like two places for sensor maintenance I'm like it was one of those places yeah yeah, yeah.
1: that's right and there's you mentioned the tactical planning suites. So there's a few quite a few tactical planning Um, rooms around the place kind of like that so Amy you were going to ask me something yes
0: yes so tell me your final thoughts about reading these blueprints what did you think
1: well I've read them before remember so they were even though I only sound them again today earlier and it was nice just to go through them again because it kind of brought back lots of memories of when I got them, probably when I was around about 17, 16, 17, 18. And I was at kind of one of those peaks in my Star Trek love. Um, and so it was nice. It was like a comfort blanket for me to go through them and remember all the little details that I used to pick out. So, yeah, I like having them. That's my favourite book. That and the Star Trek The Next Generation technical manual are invaluable.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: you, sure. should, you should get this as well and we should possibly talk about this at some point in the future
0: okay mm-hmm. justin
2: yeah i mean like i said before i mean i i hadn't really gone through these before didn't know what to expect i think i was impressed that there were so many like 13 poster size things um and that they chose to do it that way instead of maybe just having like you know standard pages in a book or something like that so again, like you see all the dedication, you see all the details. They didn't put details on like absolutely everything because that would probably take a lot more, a lot more work. And who knows? Maybe they didn't have enough computing power to label every room or something. But I mean, there, there's just like tons of stuff, and it does kind of fire your imagination, um, and it does make you think. Especially because this came out after generations, like you know, we're not going to see the Enterprise D again. Maybe we'll see a Galaxy-class ship in the Picard series. But there, there's just something that's special about the Enterprise-D. And it, and I think it gets into what you're talking about, Joe. Like, maybe it's modular. Maybe the different Galaxy-class ships have different arrangements, and this has a specific one, and and it has its own character. So I just loved looking at this and getting all the perspectives. And, and I'm so glad that you brought this to us, Joe, because I probably wouldn't have taken a look at it, at least for a while. So...
0: Well, yeah, and we purchased it just for this podcast. And it definitely is a treasure, something that I will look at more frequently. And now that I've learned how to read it, um, you know, it just the the reading, the little pamphlet that it came with is chock full of information that I absolutely loved. And you're right, just having this ship be another character on the Enterprise you know, on next gen just really brings it to life. And yeah, it sparks the imagination while being more detailed. And, uh, I think these blueprints are IDIC as it says, and that is stands for incredibly detailed and infinitely complicated. Uh, that was mentioned by, uh, Rick Sternbach. Um, I, you know, I also learned that the Enterprise-D was only around for nine short years, launching in 2363 and to its premature demise in 2372 in generations. Although
2: I think 2372 is a typo. I think it was 2371, if I'm not mistaken. But
0: it oh, wasn't around well, for that's long, what that's what It says sure. here in the... <laughs> it's, it does. It says that here.
2: I, I, I know. Okay. But, uh, Maybe a typo. Yeah, it, it wasn't around for very long, was it?
0: No, it wasn't, which is so sad because the Enterprise-D is definitely by far my favorite Enterprise. Um, it is. Uh, I just, I found it so intriguing to look through and I definitely am glad to have the opportunity to get to know this character a little bit more. And again, very thankful to have the opportunity to yeah. do so. Joe
2: is showing his beautiful Enterprise-D model. Yeah. It's, From Eagle just,
1: it's, it's beautiful. I think, I don't know when you guys first met the Enterprise D, but I was kind of in my formative years, so it's kind of got a special place in my heart. Um, I've, I think the Enterprise E is kind of cooler. I think it's a bit meaner looking, but this, this is family. This is beautifully designed. And like, it would be really, be really difficult to make because it's all just odd-looking curves, isn't
2: it? So, listeners, we're just going to pause here for a moment because I think Joe and the Enterprise D are having their own yeah. intimate moment.
0: Yes. Do you two need to be alone? <laughs> yeah, he's Troy caressing the saucer section. <laughs> all right.
2: Okay, no. Enterprise is away.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, preview next week. What we're going to do, Justin?
2: Well, Amy, I think you're starting a new series, aren't you?
0: We are, and I'm very excited to talk about it because, as you may or may not know, uh, I co-host The Edge, uh, which is about Star Trek Discovery, and how one of the comments that I've made is that it's so serialized and how I miss the episodic nature of Next Gen, However, I got to thinking. Um, no, we've got serialized stories, and so we are going to start a series um, that's going to talk about the serialization in the next generation. So we are going to uh, have part one for that, and I'm not going to say and you're going which... to decide. In the yeah, next I mean, is week this what part
1: one of your serialization series?
0: <laughs> yes, it is. That
1: sounds awesome. I'll listen to
2: that. Okay. So, Amy, is this, I I think you said it's based on this this collection that they put out a while ago. Is that the Star Trek fan collective one?
0: It is the Star Star Trek fan collective. So, listeners, some of you may already own those fan collector editions.
2: Okay. Awesome. Well, looking forward to bringing that over.
0: Yes. Well, it's been so much fun going over TNG blueprints, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
2: Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Gray.
0: Yeah, this is the part where I put in my notes, well, this is a nice after-school special. (laughs) After-school
2: special. (laughs) You know, it just
0: sort of wraps up everything.
2: (laughs) Primitive culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek.
1: Now imagine if that had have happened in the next generation in season two, that suddenly you'd had you know an older spot turn up and you'd had Scotty come through his Dyson Sphere or whatever and then Old McCoy's rattling around, and they take over, and they're basically the front. They come to hijack the enterprise. They come again. to hijack <laughs> the enterprise, yeah, and they, and, and, and you steal know, Spock it off goes, yeah, Spock goes, we're going to we're going to recover Captain Kirk from the Nexus or whatever, you
0: know, and, and imagine that. Imagine if it becomes that. I mean, you'd be watching it thinking, what is going on?
2: Literary treks if there's some really great artwork in these that i you know i don't think we, we give it enough praise for that i almost want to take that panel and remove all the lightning and the pizzazz and all that stuff out of there and just <laughs> put them in a disco room and it would almost look like they're dancing
0: yeah it's just a star trek dance
2: party like kirk's practically dabbing <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what i was just thinking <laughs> oh i love it i love it warp five the first joke in the film that I thought was truly funny was the long distance call that he was getting from Lon Chaney's character, and he's turning into the wolfman on the phone, right? And the guy is like, why are you calling long distance just to have your dog bark at me on the phone? it's like I I think that's a great line I think it's really funny because it's like you can't see what's going on because long distance in that day and age would have been like freaking expensive right and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show.
1: If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps And you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
0: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it will come right up.
2: If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com/TrekFM. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not studying the blueprints of the Enterprise D?
0: Well, as I mentioned previously, I co-host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery, and that's right here on the network. I'm also on the fandom podcast network, hosting Discoville, which talks about the Orville and Discovery. I am on Twitter, at Miss Amy Nelson, and you can find me there in the Babel Conference. So Joe, where can people contact you when you're not traveling aboard the Hyatt Regency in space?
1: Well, you can normally find me on Facebook. I will be occasionally on the Babel Conference. You can get me on Twitter at joe 77 uk or you can email me at joepodcasts at gmail.com. Yeah. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not looking for the nearest bathroom on your current starship?
2: This is one thing I didn't get to mention before in the I think the first set of blueprints. It shows on deck one on the bridge. There is a bathroom. It's labeled head <laughs> and it's kind of off off to the side of the bridge. So there's a bathroom there. We don't see like communal bathrooms in TNG. We see them in quarters, but it does exist. So. I was so happy about that, and when I'm not thinking about that and looking for the nearest bathroom on my current starship of the imagination, it's got to be in my mind for now. Maybe we'll get there soon. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, and you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So Amy, sorry, Joe, before you jump in, should we do a bonus for this one?
0: We should, with our new host, Joe. That's me.
2: Oh, would you like me to ask a question?
0: Oh, do you have one? Yes. I figured <laughs> since you brought it up that you have Well, one. I brought it
2: up because we should have one. We but should. I was going to say, was there a favorite deck that you saw in the blueprints, Joe? Ten. Because it has ten forward? Yeah. Okay. A I'm,
1: I'm a social. I'm a social animal. I would be there all the time.
2: You would.
0: Yeah. This is true. Yeah. Nice. At STLV, he's always at the Masquerade Bar. Yeah,
1: pretty much hanging out with
2: Amy Nelson.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about you, Amy?
0: Wow, that is a great question. I know um, what you should
2: pick, but
0: I I didn't think about it in terms of that. Come on, As it's got to said... be
2: it's got to be Deck Eight that has Riker and Troy's quarters, right?
0: Well, yeah, that was a very beautiful deck. <laughs> seeing that. There And you saw Picard and Beverly, that they all four were on the same deck. That was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. sure, I'll take that. But like I said okay. before, my favorite poster was poster screen three, because it had the three ships. The
2: three ships, yeah. yeah. Well, Justin, what about you? I already talked about it, but it's got to be decks 13 and 14 with Cetacean Ops. Man, I want to see Cetacean Ops. Can we have something like that? on the Picard show or any show in the future. Maybe, you know, Discovery encounters some starships in the 32nd century that are just sentient dolphins. Why not? I would love that. That is one of the things. You're right, Amy. We did see like the Zindi Aquatics, which I loved in Enterprise. But other than that, we pretty much haven't seen much like that. So we need to see more.
1: Don't get caught with your fishing rod on deck
2: 13, please, Justin. Oh, no. No, that's bad. (laughs) They would not like that.
1: Deck, nope. deck 10 definitely for me because the holodecks are there. Holodecks, mm-hmm. 10 forward, then deck 12 for the gym. I would just do that.
2: I uh, mean...
0: Yeah, there were four gymnasiums. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, why ever go on duty? There's so much fun stuff to do.
1: We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Tribuzio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Thank you for supporting Trek fm and especially Earl Grey.
0: Well, join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
2: The producers would have crashed it anyway.
1: Captain, there
2: be whales here.
0: Great joy and gratitude.
1: Nobody calls it gymnasium, Amy.
0: Well, they do on the blueprints. Well,
1: call it the gym. Yeah. Are you going to do gymnastics? You said it. I could, because <laughs> could. there's
0: a gymnasium. Yeah,
1: indeed. Indeed.
0: Joe, we'd like to take this opportunity. Yes. Would you start, please?
1: Oh, were you waiting for me to start? I thought you were going to waffle yeah. on at yes. great rate about nothing again.
2: I just want to say before you go in there, Amy. I didn't even think about that. You're an associate producer, and you just said your name. I've avoided saying my name is the associate producer this whole time. I didn't you just know. Said, I had, you
0: okay. have. I was just I thinking that same thing, and I was like, "Well, Justin said I've it." i specifically avoided times.
2: it because it would sound weird to thank myself for it. But I, didn't. Um, I know I sound like an idiot talking precedent.
1: about myself in the third person. But I didn't want to deviate from the script <laughs> for fear of
2: being given into trouble. Very good, Joe.
0: You mean to say, Justin, that you've been reading this and leaving your name out?
2: No, I've been specifically structuring the outline so it's never me doing it.
0: Oh (laughs) my gosh, and I never caught on to that.
2: Oh boy, listeners getting a super. Well, there's no way to
0: avoid it now because now we have two associates. I get to co-host with two associate producers. That's fabulous.
2: That's awesome. Well, some super behind the scenes stuff there for listeners. Anyway, go ahead, Amy.